0: You're listening to Hardwired with Jeff Wickwire. Here's what's coming up in today's edition. Have you ever felt what it's like to be hated
1: only because you're a Christian? You know why that happens? Because you as a Christian convict the conscience of the godless. And people who have chosen to walk in the dark don't like people who have chosen to walk in the light. Because the light exposes the spider's and the spider webs hidden away in the corners of their soul.
0: It's safe to say that as a Christian, at one time or another, well, we've been faced with persecution. Whether you've been too scared to tell others who you are or taking the easy route by remaining silent, as believers, we need to never back down from what we know to be true. Today, Pastor Jeff illustrates the importance of remaining strong in your faith. No matter what the world throws at you, God will be by your side to get you through it. Well, let's join Pastor Jeff in the book of Galatians chapter 5 as he continues his message, The Great Evidential Fruits of the Spirit.
1: I have never had to forgive somebody 490 times in one day. But if I had to, for some reason, I should. Long-suffering. This level of long-suffering is not possible to the flesh. Hence, it's a fruit of the Holy Spirit grown in the soil of a born-again soul. Now, let me ask you a question. Are you more long-suffering than you were, say, a year ago? You should be. Fruit. Everybody say fruit. fruit. Fruit of the Spirit. See, you don't judge somebody's spiritual maturity by how many gifts they have. You judge somebody's spiritual maturity by how much fruit is grown. Because gifts are sown, fruit is grown. Now, the next evidential fruit is gentleness. It comes from a Greek word meaning kindness or goodness of heart, and it is goodness in action. It is goodness in action. Now, as with all the other fruits of the Spirit, Jesus modeled gentleness the best. I believe the kindest man who ever lived was Jesus Christ. Really do. Peter summarized the life of Jesus by saying how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And what did he do? He went about everywhere doing what? Good. He only did good. He never did bad. He only did good and he healed everybody who was oppressed by the devil for God was with him. Now he's our model and to be a Christian means to be a little Christ. So here's the deal. As the fruit of the Spirit grows, we ought to be going out more and more and more and doing good to others, being good, having the fruit of goodness manifested, not being ornery, not being mean, not being short-tempered, but good and doing good. Good is as good does. Think of his kindness as the disciples rebuke the mothers of Jerusalem for bringing their children to him only to hear him say, allow the children to come to me for of such is the kingdom of God. Goodness. Jesus was good. He was the goodest man to ever live. And I know that's bad English, but it's good theology. He's the goodest man to ever live. Nobody was as good as Jesus ever. Think of his Kindness. As he touched the wretched leper who no one else would get near. But Jesus went near him. You know, those poor lepers, they had to have bells. And when they went into a social setting of any kind, even near a town or a city, they had to ring those bells and cry out, leper, 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 leper approaching. And everyone scattered. You talk about lonely. You talk about ostracized. You talk about blue. You talk about down. Nobody would get near them except other lepers. And yet Jesus walked right up to him and and did the unthinkable, touched him. The goodness of Jesus. He was just good. And how kind he was to Peter. Here we are again, overwhelmed as he was with guilt and shame for denying the Lord. And what about that dying thief to his right-hand side on the cross who just moments before cursed him as he hung on the cross? In fact, just try to imagine Jesus being unkind. Try to think of it. Can you imagine Jesus being unkind in any way, shape, or form? I can't. I can't think of it or imagine it. It can't be done because he was supremely, consummately, totally, thoroughly good. One of my favorite prophecies concerning Jesus was delivered by Isaiah the prophet. I love this verse. Isaiah 42, verse three says, talking of Jesus, he won't brush aside the bruised and the hurt, and he won't disregard the small and the insignificant. King James says the bruised reed, he will not snap, and the smoking flax, he will not quench. The bruised reed, you've seen these reeds sticking up out of ponds? All right, he's picturing one that is broken and about to go under, he says, Jesus will not finish the job. He will be gentle with the bruise. And the smoking flax is a candle that it's almost burned out. You're almost burned out. You don't have much life left. You feel like you can't take another step. You're down to the last ounce of strength. You're discouraged. You're blue. You're disillusioned. And yet it says when Jesus encounters somebody that has only a little flicker of a flame that used to glow brightly, he will not blow it out, but he will stoke it in gentleness. I read that verse and I call it the prophecy of gentle Jesus. He's not mean. He's not dominating. He's not insistent. He's a gentleman and he's gentle. This predicts that Jesus would be gentle with the brokenhearted, kind to the crushed spirit, compassionate toward the struggling soul. How many of you have ever been crushed and you were so thankful that Jesus was gentle? Let me see. Amen? Amen? Me too. Now, the next evidential fruit of the Spirit is goodness. It means, now listen carefully, that which is characteristically good in itself and beneficial in its effect on others. Now, It's used to describe the absolute goodness of God. Jesus said one time, why do you call me good? No one is good but one. That is God. What did Jesus call God? Good. It's the same word right there. Now, these last two fruits, I know what you're thinking. Well, they sound like they're the same. They really do. Gentleness and goodness, what's the difference? Well, they're in the same family of virtues. They are siblings but between the two, gentleness and goodness, goodness is stronger stuff. Goodness is stronger. Doing what is good might sometimes call for a tougher stand than would gentleness. Now let me give you, for instance, the Lord's goodness caused him to take off his gloves one day. He made a whip. And he drove the money changers out of the temple. You remember that? That, that wasn't gentle Jesus. And, he, and, and do you read where strong men saw him coming and they ran? You know what that tells me? My Jesus was a man, he was not a metrosexual. You couldn't, you didn't look at him and go, is it a boy or is it a girl? No, Jesus was a man's man. And when he was moving in goodness, instead of gentleness, he could be a force to be dealt with. One man, my Jesus walked into that temple where there was a bunch of men and he started swinging and they started running. Was that his gentleness? No, that was his goodness. He was hardly gentle at that time. His inherent goodness, here's what happened. His goodness could not stand by casually to watch the Pharisees defile God's temple. He was too good. How many of you ever looked at what's going on in our culture and then you just felt something rise up in you like a righteous anger? The perversion, all the things that we're being told that are right and we're wrong and, and, and how everything is upside down now and what is good is bad and what used to be bad is now good. And if we say anything else, then we're bigots and we're this and we're that. And, and, and the way that the enemy just seems to be running over America. Have you ever just felt rise up in you sort of a righteous anger and, and the goodness that God has put in you is offended? Come on, everybody. I hope that's true for every one of you in here. Bible scholars tend to define the Lord's kindness as his gentler side and his goodness as the sterner side. To be both kind and good is the ideal. If you need gentleness, we can be gentle. I as a child of God can be gentle, very gentle. If you come at me with something like you must believe that a certain sin is right, you must agree with us, you must go along with it, or my God, my Christ, my Jesus is attacked and undermined and blasphemed, then it hits up against the goodness in me and I will come out sterner than gentler. And we ought to have both. We ought to have both. And depending on the circumstance is which one manifests. This combination causes a loving parent to say a firm no to a child And to back it up with discipline when necessary. I can tell you, folks, mark this down wicked, godless men hate a good man. Are you aware of that? Remember when Jesus said, If they hated me, they're gonna hate you. If they rejected me, they're gonna reject you. If they persecuted me, he said in the Sermon on the Mount, they're gonna persecute you. Have you ever felt what it's like to be hated only because you're a Christian? You know why that happens? Because you as a Christian convict the conscience of the godless. And people who have chosen to walk in the dark don't like people who have chosen to walk in the light. Because the light exposes the spiders and the spider webs hidden away in the corners of their soul. A good man is a formidable man, not a wimp. Jesus doesn't create wimps. Jesus was not wimpy. Do you know what? The Holy Spirit didn't come come upon us to make us nice. I've gotten where I almost hate nice. Because Christians think, well, I'm called to be nice. So I'm nice. I don't want to offend anybody, step on anybody's toes, Come on, too strong. I just want to love everyone. Nice. I'm going to be nice. I want to be sickeningly, nauseatingly, revoltingly nice. You walk into a church, and what do you feel? A big anointing of nice. No. Can I tell you? Jesus was not nice. Well, yes, he was. No, he was gentle. He was kind but he could also be extremely forceful with truth and black and white. And he did not compromise and he did not mix truth with falsehood to get along with everybody so he can be nice. Well, aren't we supposed to get along with everybody? No, where do you get that? Where in the world do you get that? That we're supposed to get along with everybody. Let me tell you what Jesus said. I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. Now you come to him, you'll get peace in your soul. But the gospel is a sword that divides believer from unbeliever, that that divides light from dark and good from bad and right from wrong. And if you really walk with him, I guarantee you're going to be persecuted. And wicked men will hate you, not because you're nice, But because you are inherently good, you have goodness in you, the goodness of the Holy Spirit, which is formidable. Didn't mean to go into all that. No, that's in my notes. That came straight out of my heart because I'm tired of, uh, you know. Have you ever noticed every time Hollywood does a preacher, if he's not a killer or a serial rapist or a lunatic, he's nerdy and wimpy and sort of effeminate and nice and totally unimpressive and non-inspirational and non-charismatic and boring. (laughs) I hate Hollywood's picture of preachers. Well, I could stay on that all night, but I'll be nice and move on. Look at what the Bible says. The wicked detest the upright. So don't be amazed if somebody hates your guts because you're a believer. It's come to that, folks. We're there in America now. I hope you know that. That if you really come out and live for Jesus in front of everyone, you're going to be persecuted and really and truly sometimes hated. What are you going to do with that? Pick up your marbles and go home? No. You're going to shine and say, you know, I'm so sorry you're offended by the Jesus in me. Really? But again, I'm really not. Sorry. Because I'm going to tell you, when I came to him, he changed my life. I love you in the Lord. I do, but I'm going to tell you the truth. And I'm not going to apologize for telling you the truth. The fruit of the Spirit produces both kindness and goodness in the character of the child of God. What a blessing to have these glorious attributes of the living God growing within our souls. Amen? Now. We've looked at the first three fruits of the Spirit, which are emotional, and then we looked at the second three, which are evidential. Now I want to come to the final three fruits of the Spirit, which are elemental. Now, the elemental fruits of the Spirit are the ultimate basics of the Christian life. They're the bare essentials of vital Christianity. The first of those fruits is faith. Without faith, you can't please God. And faith is the beginning of every walk with God and every encounter with God. Without faith, you will never have an encounter with God. So our whole Christian life, being born again, being saved, coming to him, began with faith. Amen? Faith. Now, faith can be either the act or the attitude of believing trust. It can also be the quality of faithfulness, dependability, and loyalty. Now catch that, the quality of being faithful and dependable and loyal. So when we see faith in this list of nine fruits of the Spirit, it's not necessarily talking about faith that moves a mountain. It's more than likely talking about being faithful, loyal, dependable as God is. Because the other fruits are moral just like that. So sometimes faith is simply the ordinary everyday faith that we all exercise in a thousand different ways in daily normal life. When you got into your car tonight to come to church, you turn that key in full faith, it would start. And when it doesn't start, sometimes your faith is offended. Right? You want to know, oh no, what is it? Is it the stupid battery? Is it the car maker? Did Chevy do this? Or the battery do this? Because your faith said it's going to start. Now you don't know how it works. If I told you go in and take that engine apart and put it back together... You would say, I have no clue how to do that. I just know that I believe when I turn that key, it's going to happen. I operate in faith. When you walked into this church, you had faith there was going to be a chair for you. You had faith that I was going to be here. You had faith that you would hear something about Galatians. You didn't even think about it. You believed it was going to happen. We move in normal faith all the time. As the old saying goes, how does a cow eat green grass that, ter- that produces white milk and turns to yellow butter. I don't know. I just know I expect it to be there when I want butter on my toast. <laughs> faith. We have faith without even thinking about it, that the world's going to keep on spinning the way that it should, the way God made it, so that we don't all fly off into space lost in space. We operate in faith all the time. But here's the danger. The danger is that faith can be misplaced, and it's misplaced all the time. We might place our faith in a false God or in a person or a place or a thing. And we look to that person or that place or that thing or that false doctrine to do something for us that only Christ can do. I mean, this is what the cults are all about. They want you to have misplaced faith. They want you to put the faith that you would usually turn towards God and his son, Jesus Christ, and put it in something else to distract you, hopefully, until you die lost. The object of our faith is everything. Misplaced faith can result in disaster, even in the loss of your soul. Jesus said, some people put faith in money and things and and materialism, And he said, but but guess what? What will it profit you if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Because you can put your faith in money, but you can't take that with you. When you die, you go into eternity just like you came, with nothing but your skin on you. And it's gone. You don't take any money, any riches, any necklaces, any cars, any golf clubs, anything. It all stays here. When faith is placed in the finished work of Christ... That is when faith becomes saving faith, securing faith, sanctifying faith. The minute I turn my faith to the right object and say, Jesus, forgive me, immediately I am saved. For if we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we will be that very microsecond saved. So... Faith rightly placed becomes saving faith, and that's the only time that it does. In Galatians, faith must probably be seen as the, the quality of faithfulness and trustworthiness because the other fruits of the Spirit are all moral qualities. God is revealed in Scripture as being utterly trustworthy, absolutely dependable. God can never break His Word. Do you know that? God cannot break His Word. And once again, nobody was and is more trustworthy than Jesus Christ. When the disciples thought they were going to perish in the storm at sea, what did trustworthy Jesus, faithful Jesus do? Stood up and talked to the storm and stopped it and saved them. Why? Because he's trustworthy. See, some of you have needs tonight and the devil hits your mind and says, what are you going to do about that bill? What are you going to do about that kid that's gone nuts? What are you going to do about this or that in your life and tries to sow doubt? But you need to rise up and say, guess what? Living inside of me is the trustworthy, loyal, faithful Jesus. And he cannot go back on his word. He can't do it. In another event, when they were straining at rowing, like the way you feel someday, straining it rowing against a wind that was blowing against them in the middle of the sea, did Jesus leave them? It says he saw them from the mountaintop. And what did he do? He said, I got to get to them because they're not getting anywhere. They're straining at rowing, but they're not getting anywhere. They're trying to get somewhere. They're trying to get where I told them to go, but they can't get there because they're going in their own strength. So he walked down and walked on the water to get to them. He walked on top of the very thing that was vexing them. And they said, oh, it's a ghost. It is I. Be not afraid. And it says, as soon as he got in the boat, it became a motorboat, and they were at the other side of the sea. Things change when Jesus gets in your boat. They really do. Things change when you're in a problem, say, Lord, I don't know what to do, but get in my boat. He appeared to them walking on the water or he, because he is faithful. So do we become faithful as the fruit of the Spirit grows within. That's a fruit of the Spirit. As he is dependable, faithful, and loyal, Christians ought to be growing the same fruit. Dependable, faithful, loyal. You can depend on my word, I'm going to do it. Why? Because i got the fruit of the Spirit. I'm dependable, I'm faithful, and I'm loyal. I'm not a con, I'm not a cheat, I'm not a liar, I'm not a deceiver. I'm faithful, loyal, loyal. And dependable because I'm following one who is. And he's rubbing off on me. Now the next elemental fruit of the Spirit is meekness. Now I don't know what you think when I say meek. You say, oh, Pastor Jeff is really meek. Some of you would think, really, he's weak? No. Meekness, you know what it means? Strength held back. I could, but I won't. Meekness is not weakness. Now, here's another definition of of meekness. Meekness is the attitude of heart that accepts the Lord's dealings with us as good and perfect and acceptable. The meek person does not resist God.
0: In your faith journey, when's the last time you put an emphasis on living out the fruits of the Spirit? We're taught from a young age what the fruits are, but do we view them as anything more than a cheerful Bible school message? Today in his message, Pastor Jeff taught us what it means to have a deep reverence for the fruits of the Spirit. They should be a driving force for who you are as a believer and can't be something to be glossed over. If you're interested in learning about Hardwired, Diane has some things to share. If you have questions or comments about what you've heard today, we'd like to know. You can call or text us at the following number and share your thoughts. That number to text is 817-484-4767. Once again, that's 817-484-4767. Thanks for being a part of this ministry and helping it continue to be an encouraging and uplifting resource for you and others. Now I'll hand it back to Daniel as he gives a preview of what's next. In his next message, Pastor Jeff illustrates the dangers of resisting God's promises. As Christians living in our world today, it's easy to let the world's wisdom seep into who we are doesn't matter how sound the arguments may seem or how harmless we might think it is. Abiding in the lies of the world will always serve to destroy you. Stay steadfast in who you know you are through Christ and be blessed by way of His grace. He has never given up on you. There's more Pastor Jeff has to share from the book of Galatians. So be sure to join us again. If you missed any part of today's teaching, you can find it online at hardwired.org. We're so glad we could be part of your day today, and we pray you've been blessed by today's edition of Hardwire.